Chapter 8, page 74. As much as he wanted to be part of our plan, Josh knew it would be too risky for him to come to New York. We said our goodbyes, and I joined Ezra and David on the sloop we'd borrowed for, from a shipyard in Saybrook. A small crew did the sailing, leaving us to ourselves. The voyage to New York was the longest two weeks of my life. We were on the water all day long, no stops and no getting off. At night, we anchored in little coves, the waves rocking the boat, reminding me all night long that we were on the water. I got so worn out worrying about something bad happening, like the sloop sinking or me falling overboard. I started to get sick. We're going to get to New York whether you worry about it or not, Ezra said to me one day. You might as well relax and enjoy the journey. I was too tired to argue, so I sat down next to him. Ezra was doing what he'd done every day since we'd sailed from Saybrook, staring at the sea and napping in the sun. David was nearby, tinkering with the turtle, which was tied down to the deck. Nate, maybe you should try my approach, Ezra said. When I've got something worrying me, I always ask myself, what's the worst thing that could happen? He looked at me. With us being out on the water, what's the worst thing that could happen? The sloop could sink and I'd drown, I said without a moment's hesitation. What would happen to you if the sloop sinks and you drown? I thought for a moment. I'd die. Would that be so bad? According to everything I'd heard in church, I would go to heaven after I died. It was supposed to be a wonderful place, something to look forward to. Still, like the murky waters surrounding us, heaven was a great wide unknown. I guess not, I replied, only half assured. All right, then, now relax, and every time you start to feel afraid, remember the worst thing that can happen. For the next week, I followed Ezra's example and did a whole lot of nothing. Every day, I sat by his side, staring at the water. When he napped, I napped. When I felt afraid, I tried to think about going to heaven. And a funny thing happened. After a while, the ocean didn't seem so forbidding. I wasn't about to dive in and go swimming, but the fear didn't seem so strong, like it could swallow me alive. At the end of the two weeks, the sloop deposited the turtle and the three of us into a little cove on York Island, northeast of the city. And I had survived. There's no wagon, David grumbled. I sent a message to General Putnam's telling him when and where to meet us. Don't worry, big brother, Ezra said. Israel Putnam is a Connecticut man like us. He's not going to let us down, especially since we're bringing a secret weapon. Sure enough, a few hours later, a cart with two horses rolled up. The droopy-eyed dri driver gazed out at us from under a large felt hat. David walked over and extended his right hand. I'm David Bushnell from Connecticut. The man ignored David's hand. Corporal Allen, he said. He shot a contemptuous glance at the turtle. This is the famous water machine from Connecticut. Don't look like much. There was an awkward silence. It's called the American Turtle, I said helpfully. Because it looks like a turtle, at least. At least, it looked like a turtle when we first started. I faltered as the corporal gl glared at me. Well, uh... The two halves looked like turtle shells before we sealed them together. Uh-huh, Corporal Allen grunted. There's 30,000 <clears> There's thirty thousand British and Hessian regulars over on Staten Island, and they send us a turtle. God almighty help us. 
After another long silence, David asked, David asked, how'd you know about the, uh, water machine? No, everyone knows. It's all over camp. David, Ezra, and I exchanged puzzled looks. I guess it doesn't matter as long as the British don't know, David said. Corporal Allen chuckled. <laughs> Even if they knew Mr. What'd you say, Bush? Even if they knew, they wouldn't be scared of that, he said, jerking a thumb at the turtle. And I know Black Dick ain't gonna be scared of no turtle. Black Dick? Who's that? I asked. He's Admiral of the whole British fleet, Admiral Richard Howe. His men call him Black Dick because he's so tough, Alan said. Soon we were jolting south toward New York City. David and Ezra had insisted I sit up front with Corporal Allen while they held the turtle steady. At first I was pleased with this privilege, but I soon found out why they wanted to sit in the back. Corporal Allen stank to high heaven. After about an hour, we topped a rise and I saw the city in the distance. Houses and buildings filled the land leading down to the harbor. It looked like a thousand saybrooks packed together. Ezra, David, look, I said, pointing. Corporal Allen grunted. You think that's something? Wait till you see the ships. Oh, I've seen ships, I said. I'm from New London. Corporal Allen seemed unimpressed. Just you wait, boy. A few minutes later, I saw what he meant. Across the water, warships of all sizes crowded the harbor. Hundreds of masts pierced the sky. Oh my, Ezra said quietly. It looks like a pine forest with all the limbs cut off. You see why your water machine is folly? muttered Corporal Allen. What can you do against so many? David's eyes blazed. We'll do what we can do, he said, turning toward Ezra and me. What I see are targets, targets, gentlemen, hundreds of targets. I was inclined to agree with the corporal, but I kept my mouth shut. Who did we think we were? I remembered Uncle Elias's words the night David had spread out the plan for the summary. David, only you would dream of taking on the biggest navy in the world with a science project. Can you tell me where General Washington is? David asked Corporal Allen. The general? Down in the city where headquarters is. He goes back and forth between the city and Long Island. He's got half the army here and half over there. I guess he ain't real sure where General Howe, that's Black Dick's brother, is going to attack first. Guess our little re rebellion has got England's attention. They got both Howe's here, the general, and the admiral. He shook his head. There's too much territory to defend, too many rivers and harbors and such. With all those ships and men, they can come at us whenever they want. It's like General Washington is trying to plug a hundred leaks with only ten fingers. Corporal Allen chortled and held up his left hand. It had only two fingers and a thumb. Of course, some of us got more fingers to plug holes with than others. As we neared the city, military activity grew. Companies of soldiers marched past. The uniforms varied widely, from buckskin to well-tailored blue outfits. In some of the units, the men slouched along, looking around aimlessly. Others kept good order and marched in unison, heads held high. We rolled all the way through the city until we ran out of land. A group of soldiers stood around several cannons, pointed toward the, several cannons pointed toward the harbor. We got a lot of strange looks when they saw the turtle. One soldier broke away from the group and strode up to us. This must be the famous water machine from Connecticut, he said. Welcome to Whitehall Battery.
Have you been expecting us? David asked. Well, you never know what to believe around here. There's a new rumor every day. But they said Benjamin Franklin was the one talking about the water machine, so I believed it. Well, it's true, David said, smiling at me. You might say Dr. Franklin is a friend of mine. You would, would you and some of the other men be willing to help us get the water machine in the, uh, water? Soon the tur turtle was tethered to a nearby dock. It was hard to believe we were finally in New York within striking distance of the British. I gazed across the harbor to warships in the distance. Ezra would be out amongst them and the turtle, planting the bomb. David would supervise the attack. And me? What, what would I do? That's what Uncle Elias had wondered when David asked him if I could come to New York. What do you need Nathan for? The submarine is built and you've got Ezra. I don't have a good answer, Elias, David had replied. I've just got this feeling we're going to need him before everything is said and done. Uncle Elias had tugged on his beard. I'm sorry, David, but a feeling isn't a good enough reason to send a boy to war, especially without his father's permission. What if something happens to him? That's exactly what I'm thinking, Elias, but for a different reason. I'm thinking, what if something good happens to Nate because he goes to New York? I think his father would understand that. Something good? What good could come out of sending a boy to war? He could get killed. That's true, Elias. Anything could happen in war. He could get killed. Or he could end up doing something he'll be proud of. The point is, Nate will never know if he stays here. Elias sighed and shook his head and looked at me. Nate, what do you want to do? To be honest, I didn't know. I was scared to stay and scared to go. If I went, I'd be in a war, and who knew what terrible thing could happen? If I stayed, I'd be in a war with myself, always wondering what I might have done for the revolution. I guess I'll go, I finally said. All right, Elias said reluctantly. But David, don't let him out of your sight. So there I was in New York, wondering what the heck I was supposed to do. Thoughts of Papa kept popping into my head. I'd been so busy with the turtle and running from Butch all summer, I hadn't thought much about Papa. But now that he was so close, maybe just down one of these streets with his regiment, I couldn't stop thinking about him. The soldiers were saying a battle would happen soon. What if Papa got killed or captured? I might never see him again. <coughs> I tossed about trying to sleep that night in a tent some soldiers had loaned us. David woke me up. Nate, what's the matter? You've kicked me three times. I could just make out David's face in the moonlight and that slipped in through the tent flap. It's Papa, I whispered. I want to see him. So that's your nightmare? Your father? What if something happens to him? What if something doesn't happen to him? Ezra had stirred awake. Nate, remember what you're supposed to do when you're worried? He asked sleepily. What's the worst thing that could happen? Papa could get killed, I hesitated. And go to heaven. Would that be so bad? Well, not for him, but it wouldn't be so good for me. David sighed. Nate, New York is huge. There are thousands of soldiers here. We'll never find him. Besides, we've got so much to do. We've got to meet with General Putnam to plan the turtle's first attack. We need to study the currents in the harbor. We need to get the bomb ready. We don't have time to look for your father. You don't need me for all that, David. You've got Ezra. I paused. All I've got is Papa. I couldn't be sure in the dark, but I'd swear David's eyes teared up a little. We sat quietly for a minute or two. You're right, Nate. 
You've already lost your mother, and you've only got your father, David finally said. I remember when my father died out in the field that day. He was there in the morning, and in the afternoon he wasn't. I wished I'd had a chance to say goodbye. David sighed again. I still want you to be around to help with the turtle, but really there's nothing that Ezra and I can't handle ourselves. Go find your father, but don't go too far. I want to know where you are. Then David smiled. But if you ever tell Elias I let you out of my sight, I'll whack you one. The following morning, I was walking the streets of New York, marveling at the many fortifications. The city bristled with barricades and batteries of cannon. Every street corner seemed to have a guard. Do you know where the 7th Connecticut Volunteers are? I asked soldier after soldier. No one knew. Hours later, as I was rounding a corner, I heard a sweet sound. Soldiers with Connecticut accents. You from Connecticut? I asked them. Milford, a young man looking man said. You? New London. We looked at each other awkwardly for a few moments. Finally, the Milford man asked, What is a new London boy doing here? Why aren't you home fishing? I decided to show off. I'm here with the water machine. The water machine? I heard about that. They say it's got a cannon mountain on top, mounted on the top. Well, not exactly, but it is dangerous. Hope so. We've got our hands full with about the whole British fleet here. You know where the 7th Connecticut Volunteers are? I do, said one of the other soldiers. I've got a cousin with them. They're over on the Brooklyn Heights across the river, working on one of the forts. Do you know how I can get over there? I asked. You can't, said the soldier. Not unless you're on army business. Why don't you take your water machine across? asked the young man from Milford. I shook my head. It's already on army business. An older, grizzled soldier shrugged. Heck, why don't you join up with us? We're supposed to go, to go over to Long Island soon. We're the third company of the 5th Connecticut. When I didn't respond, he grinned. It ain't like everyone here is of legal age, he said, jostling, jostling the Milford man with his elbow. You be quiet, the young man retorted. Oh, don't fret, Joe. No one is going to kick you out of the army now with a fight coming on. The younger man laughed and extended his hand toward me. I'm Joe Martin, and I'm... He looked exaggerated, exaggeratedly from side to side. Fifteen, but let's keep that between the three of us. I shook his hand, delighted with his confession. I'm Nathan Wade, and I'm almost fifteen. My birthday was three months away. So why do you want to go over to the island? Joe asked. I'm looking for my father, I said. He's with the 17th. Joe nodded solemnly. You're not going over there unless you're a soldier or a strong swimmer. I winced. Come on, Nathan, I'll show you around, he said. It'd be nice to have someone my age to talk to for a while. We walked down the street to a huge brick house. We're staying here, Joe said. Used to be some fancy Tory's house, so we requisitioned it requisitioned it. There's a lot of Tories in New York, at least until we showed up. It was the biggest house I'd ever seen. I'd swear all of Saybrook could fit inside with the Bushnell farm thrown into boot. There's a nice view of Long Island from the roof, Joe said. Want to have a look? A few minutes later, we stepped outside an upstairs window onto the roof. Seagulls dove in the river far below, snapping up fish. Boats loaded with soldiers rowed across, oars dipping in and out of the water. See the man over on the heights? 
Joe asked. A tiny figure on a platform waved miniature flags. He's the signalman. He's sending messages from the army on the island to the other army over here. What's he saying? I asked. Joe shrugged. You got me. Send reinforcements. We're about to be attacked. Or lunch was lousy. What's for dinner? We sat and enjoyed the view. It was so beautiful I could hardly imagine a battle was about to break out somewhere below us. So what do you think, Nathan? He asked. You want to join up with us? Or do they need you back with the water machine? Nah, the water machine is ready. They don't need me. I just want to see my father, that's all. I didn't come to fight. Joe thought for a minute. You sure? I looked at Joe, startled. Sure about what? Sure you didn't come to fight? I think it's fine, you wanting to see your pa, and I hope you find him. But if you're done with the water machine, maybe there's something else you can do for the cause. Like fight. When Joe said fight, I think I winced again, like when he, has when he had mentioned swimming. Was your pa proud of you when you joined up? I asked. Joe laughed. He didn't know I was doing it, so I can't say for sure. I made my mark on the papers when the rec recruiters came to Milford. They marched me off before my pa had the chance to find out. Didn't they ask how old you were? Joe shook his head. I'm big for my age, like you. They must have figured I was old enough, or maybe they just needed men bad and took whoever they could get. We watched the river in silence for a few minutes. You know, Nathan, Joe said, I didn't join up to impress my pa or anyone else. I did it for myself and my country, pure and simple. He looked at me. If you decide to, decide to join, that's why you should do it. Personally, I think you'd be a fine soldier. I felt a thrill run down my spine, just like when David asked me to help build the submarine. Me? I said. I don't think I'm brave enough. Well, between you and me, I'm scared. He nodded toward the soldiers on the street. Probably everyone down there is afraid, too. Not that any of them are going to say it. One thing I've learned is soldiers don't talk about being afraid to fight or dying in battle. Are you scared you might die? I don't think about it. If I did, I'd probably run like a rabbit. You want to know what I'm most afraid of? I'm afraid I'll run as soon as the shooting starts and let the other men in the regiment down. So if you don't feel brave, how do you be brave? I asked. We watched boats full of soldiers crossing the river. My pa once told me that the real courage isn't not feeling afraid. If you weren't afraid, you wouldn't need courage, right? He says courage is doing the right thing, even when you're scared to death. Joe's face stiffened with resolve. That's what I've decided to do, he said. I'm going to do my duty as best I can and leave the outcome of Providence. There was something strong in Joe's face. Something I wanted to, for myself. What was the right thing to do, I wondered. Look for Papa? Go back to David and Ezra? Join the army? My brain was spinning with choices. I thought about Joe's words. If you join up, do it for yourself and for your country. Maybe joining up was some, the something good David thought could happen to me here. How could I know for sure? I'm going with you, I burst out. I didn't feel entirely sure, but I felt like I did when I leveled Butch Hyde with my legs. I couldn't believe what I'd done. Joe's face broke into a grin. Come on, I'll take you down to meet the other men. That night I ate supper with the rest of the company. The sergeant said he'd sign me up officially the next day and try to find me a uniform. I decided I'd write David a letter in the morning telling him my plans. I slept on a hallway floor on top of a plush rug. The next morning, I woke up to the rumble of distant thunder. All around me, heads popped out of blankets.
Sounds like the shooting has started on Long Island, someone said. A wave of fear had passed over me. We pulled on our hats and boots and hurried outside. The sun was rising, huge, red, and angry. Fall in, shouted an officer. March! I fell into a line of soldiers, feeling out of place with no uniform or musket, marching as best I could. When the men were lefting with their feet, I was writing, but it didn't seem to matter. Joe sensed my discomfort. We've only been together a few months, so it isn't like you've got much catching up to do, he said. As we marched along, I remembered the letter I had meant to write to David. I would have to wait until later. Crowds of people cheered as we went by, shouting, Get those lobster backs, boys! At the ferry, the company narrowed into single file to descend the steps of the river. Two large casks, filled with biscuits, stood at the top of the stairs. It's sea bread, Joe said. Better get you some. One thing I've learned about soldiering is that you always eat as much as you can whenever you can. You don't always know when you'll eat next. I stuffed my pockets with the small biscuits. I bit one and winced. We smash them up with cannonballs, Joe said. It's the only way. Teeth aren't hard enough. As we descended the steps to the landing below, I felt another jolt of fear. The water was a good mile across. Water, water, everywhere. Why was I never able to get away from it? Hundreds of people had gathered, cheering as each boatload of soldiers launched. I followed Joe aboard a long, flat boat. Men in neat white pants and blue jackets manned the oars. I sat down next to one of the sailors, who nodded at me. As we pushed away from the landing, one of the officers shouted, Three cheers for America, men! Hurrah! Soldiers shouted, punching their muskets heavenward. Hurrah! Hurrah! The crowd roared three cheers back. A thrill ran through me, and for a moment I forgot my fear. What a great adventure! I was miles and miles from home, and I was a soldier in the Continental Army. The thrill, however, ebbed as we neared Long Island. The roar of cannon grew louder. The smell of sulfur hung heavy in the air, and my mouth went dry. I could see frantic activity on the Brooklyn Ferry. Men were unloading boats and equipment, and their distant shouts carried across the water. I focused on the soft grunts of the sailors as they dipped the oars into the water and anxiously watched the shore. The low voice of the sailor next to me interrupted my thoughts. You're our fifth load today, he said. Looks like they got quite a battle going on. We'd like to be fighting, but they got us rowing, he said. Guess we're too good with boats. We're Marbleheaders, a slew of fishermen. Marblehead was a fishing town up the coast from New London in Massachusetts. I'm from New London, I said. All of you? the man asked. We could use some more seamen to help ferry men over here. No, the rest of them are from western Connecticut. I just joined up. I was wondering why you didn't have a gun or a uniform. He dipped the oar in the water and pulled back in perfect unison with the other sailors. So we got out the load of farmers and tanners and blacksmiths. Well, as long as they can shoot, I guess it doesn't matter. He glanced at me. You've got a fisherman's arm, boy. If you can't find a gun, come and find me. I'll find you an oar. Soon we were marching up a road away from the ferry. To our left was the heights. The steep hill was crowned with several forts and long earthen walls, and I saw hundreds of soldiers watching the battle below. The bellow of muskets and cannon grew louder. We hadn't gone far when we began to see bloodied soldiers. One held his cheek like he was trying to keep it from falling off his face. Another with a bloody leg limped along, using his musket for a crutch. Other men didn't appear to be wounded, just dazed. What's it like? Is it a hard fight? One of our men asked a filthy soldier sitting by the side of the road. 
The man stared straight ahead with a vacant expression and said nothing. Farther up the road, we came upon a group of men trying to haul a stuck cannon out of the sandy oil. Hey, help us out, will ya? One of the artillerymen begged, but an officer ordered us onward. There's a battle on, boys, he yelled. A few hundred yards ahead was a large, swampy area, a creek the tide had flowed into from a nearby harbor. Beyond, small figures rushed back and forth amid great clouds of smoke. The ground trembled from the cannon and musket fire. The double quick, boys, the double quick, the officer shouted. The regiment surged forward in a fast trot. I loped along, gunless and gasping, wondering what madness I had thrust myself into. You fool, I said to myself. Why hadn't I stayed with David? We pulled up next to the water, unable to move forward. The swamp was about 80 yards across, and a strong current coursed through it. In the distance, I could see a thin line of scarlet uniforms standing against the sea of the enemy. More British and Hessian troops were rushing up. Rallied by an officer waving a sword, the scarlet line charged. In the thick, clinging smoke, men swirled in a wild melee. Musket flashes stabbed the air. Men crumpled to the earth. Screams and curses filled my ears. The roar was deafening, and I stood dumbstruck. The scarlet line fell back to its original place. Again, the officer rallied them, and again they charged the enemy. Good God, it's Lord Sterling and the Mar Marylanders! I recognize the uniforms, the officer shouted. They're fighting like wolves! My mind went to the night Rachel Pratt caught, caught me outside her window and called me wolf. I had nothing in common with the sharp-toothed and fearless beast. A mouse is more like it, I thought. I'm like a mouse trying to avoid a trap. Soon, only a handful of the Maryland, man, Maryland men were clumped around Sterling, who still defiantly waved his sword at the enemy. They're covering the retreat, Joe exclaimed. Stampeding like a herd of wild cattle, the routed, Connecticut, con the routed Continental Army headed toward the water. Hundreds of soldiers had plunged into the swamp. Some were mired in the mud and screamed for help. I watched in horror as soldiers sank and did not come back up. With wild fear, others swam desperately towards us. Redcoats suddenly appeared on the shore, and two cannons began blasting grape shot at the swimming soldiers. Bastards, Joe shouted. The men we'd passed on the road pulled up alongside us. They quickly loaded the cannon and began blazing back at the British. As the swimming soldiers got closer, some of the men in the third company waded out to help them ashore. I stared, stricken with fear. I knew I should help, but I couldn't get into the water. I was afraid I'd drown. Muddy, bloody, and sopping wet, the survivors stumbled ashore. Some knelt, gasping for breath. Others looked about frantically in terror. A few wept like injured children. Suddenly, one soldier splashed ashore, brushed past me, and kept on going. Something inside me snapped, and I ran after him. I didn't care if anyone saw me, even Joe. I just knew I couldn't be there anymore. I ran after the wet, barefoot soldier. All around us, hundreds of men were running. We ran together, seeking the safety of the heights.